everybody, welcome to another episode of Opposites React. This is episode 37. I am Sarah and you are Tyler. How's it going? Great, thanks. Good to have you back. Oh, thank and you. And happy belated birthday. Boo hiss. <laughs> For all the <laughs> listeners out there, it was her birthday yesterday. We Yay. older now. Yeah, exactly. We don't really celebrate as much as we used to. No. It's <laughs> just yes. a number now. <laughs> <laughs> Sad face. <laughs> but it's good to have you back. Thank you. I enjoyed listening to your monologue last week, so. Well, I hope somebody else besides you did. But even if that's <laughs> I've heard you write about collateral I forever. Know, so. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, what have you been up to? Nothing new. <laughs> Come on. How's Animal Crossing going? Uh, I like the halloween event much more than like the fall event because i actually have pumpkins and can make this stuff though i really don't understand this event because i keep getting recipes for all this stuff but i can also buy these same things in the store so why would i may waste pumpkins buying making them what is it you buy in the store like this, the daily daily things in the yeah. corner or you can build- like, oh i have all the recipes for everything that i've bought hmm. from the store so far i guess there's an option for people that don't have the bills <laughs> I they're like three thousand bells each. But <laughs> the like the one, one I bought today, I bought the spooky arch today. It was like eighteen thousand. Yeah, but I made that like day one, and yeah. now I can buy it. It's like, why did I waste my time and materials? So I won't do oh, that I'm anymore. Sure there'll be better recipes down the down the line. So like three weeks till till Halloween or whatever. <laughs> I guess I just yeah. keep up making sure to buy my candy every day, so I can yep. get ready for Jack. And yeah, otherwise, I don't think I've done anything new. Bought a couple new PSN games the other day with your birthday money. What'd you get? Um, I got Langrisser 1 and 2 because it's the first time it's been on sale on PlayStation. I've been waiting forever. And uh, CrossCode. So excited to start those up. And I got the Persona 5 Royal Battle Bundle because I want to fight the protagonists on the other games. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, yeah, I'm just been playing the usual, you know. Shock. <laughs> well, you had your season, your title update, I guess, for um, Apex yesterday. Yeah, they had the big um, aftermarket event, is what they're calling mm. it. And um, when you saw me buy all the skins, yes, dropped, dropped on my birthday money on uh, <laughs> so I can get that caustic heirloom. That awesome. Well, it's, it's the first big event they've had in a while where it's like, and I not have, a and I also, and I also and haven't really spent money on the game since like last Christmas. So I know, I've been, right? I've been playing for free. I'm using air quotes here, playing for free this whole time. But that's just because I use the, I just use the battle pass to buy each new battle pass. I yeah. don't really spend the coins on anything, so I don't feel bad dropping a couple hundred on this. Because, like I said, there it's a good game. I, I want to support the developers; they're doing a great job, especially. It's literally in these the only times, game right? you play other than MLB. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty great. Um, I have been. Uh, I've watched a few. I haven't been watching uh, a Halloween movie every night. I tried to watch one a couple nights ago, and I started falling asleep. Uh, so Wasn't I spooky enough to keep you awake. No. Mm. <laughs> It, uh, it also wasn't a very good movie. That's probably why I was falling asleep. But, ah. but I'll say, I've, so I've, I plan to watch another one tonight, but um, I watched three so far, and they they definitely vary in quality. Um, what I plan to do is, uh, I'm keeping track of them on my phone here as I watch them. Uh, I plan to, at the end of, well, I guess after Halloween, at the, end, at the beginning of November, I'm just going to go back and kind of rank all the, uh, mm. the movies I've watched for Halloween. Uh, so so far I've only watched three. Like I said I'll, right now I'll just give a very brief brief description of each film. Like I'm going to spoilers or anything, and then uh, and I'll just get, kind of give you right now a recommendation. Like watch, don't watch, watch with some alcohol maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so this is like the Jeremy scale. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, hold on, I'm not gonna take from Jeremy. But, uh, so the first one I watched, 
was called uh and by the way i think i watch all these on amazon prime by the way i've watched any netflix ones yet but amazon has actually has a pretty decent selection of, of horror stuff like a lot of, especially a lot of obscure stuff that you maybe haven't heard of or that's why i started watching one the other day the one that i fell asleep watching it was called i don't know it was a really generic title it was just called cold skin but the premise intrigued me because it was like about like some guy stranded on an island who's like stranded by choice on an island where there's like a lighthouse and uh all these like creatures come out at night from the from the from the ocean and attack the lighthouse so i thought ah, okay some little ocean horror aliens maybe it could be cool <laughs> and maybe the, I, to be honest i fell asleep like uh, halfway in so maybe the first half's all build up and second half is it gets good but for me anyways it was just really slow i might go back to it we'll see but uh, for now the ones i watched first one was called antiviral uh it came out in f- 2012 and uh, what intrigued me about this one was um, the the director in this case the like I guess the the family lineage. So the director of this one is called his name's Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, his father is David Cronenberg, who's a very very famous Canadian director. Uh, he's done well, of what you would know. He's done stuff like um, a History of Violence, Eastern Promises. Um, he did a lot of like horror. Like when I say horror, I mean like sci-fi horror. He doesn't do like Texas Chainsaw type stuff. His stuff is more like about body horror and like creepy stuff. He did a lot of stuff in the eighties and nineties. What is body horror? So they classify as like when you when someone's like you know mutilated, like when someone is like experimenting on themselves, you know, like the fly or something like that. Did you do the fly? You might have directed the fly as well. I think about (laughs) it. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that kind of stuff. Okay, like where it's not so much about killing other people; it's more about like experimenting on yourself and like. So that's what this one's kind of like. The basic premise of this is you have a so this is sort of like a sci-fi future. Um, you can definitely tell it was like filmed in like Toronto and Hamilton. I recognize some, oh, really? and I saw that on the Wikipedia too. It, it's definitely like a low-budget thing because uh, again, this I think this was like I said, this was this guy's first directing effort. He's probably in his like early 30s when he directed this, and uh, and uh, like it was, I think it was at I don't know if it was at TIFF. It might have been at, like some kind of horror festival for his first sort of like premiere, but. Um, so low budget, obviously, but it kind of, kind of got his name out there. I want to treat what I want. Why I want to watch this too, because he has a new. This is only, yeah. This was his first film. His second film, he just finished uh, directing. Um, so you know, eight years between films. Not like he's doing a film every couple of years or anything. But the next film that he has coming out, um, and again, it's like a limited release around here in Canada. So I don't think it's going to come down to our end of of Ontario, but it's probably playing like Toronto and stuff like that. But uh, it's called uh, Possessor, and it, it's getting really good reviews, and it sounds pretty cool too. It's got a really good cast. So you can definitely tell you have more of a budget for this one. And the trailer is really good. I really want to see this if it comes out on, on demand or some kind of streaming service. But uh, so anyway, so antiviral basically is like, a, it's sort of like a sci-fi future where this, you're, you're the main character, I can't remember his name to be honest. He, um, he works for like a, a clinic that um, they, so in this, like in this film, it's sort of like, uh, it's not too far off from like our, the way, the, the way society works now where everybody's kind of obsessed with celebrities and, uh, uh, so in this case, you have uh, a clinic that kind of harvests DNA from celebrities and like, but like stuff like, oh, like, like, let's say, for example, they don't use actual celebrities in, in this movie for copyright reasons. But like, let's just say, for example, like Lady Gaga, as an example, had the flu. They would take a sample from her of the flu and they would inject it in other people because other people are so obsessed they want to be like oh i got the lady gaga flu you know like they feel special right because they kind of like share something with the celebrity right like they literally just like they'll like like, i think the very first guy in the film they show like they kind of like inject like herpes into a guy because and then and then they they, kind of pitch it like the main character is like a salesman like pitched it to them as like oh it'll be like if she shared a kiss with you you know yeah it was an interesting premise um it's, it's a very slow film for sure it's not it's not really very scary or 
gory or anything. It's more of a psychological horror thing, but it wasn't too long. Pacing was good. Acting was sort of hit and miss. Not The main character is fine. He's actually been in some other stuff that I've seen recently, but uh, I know the rest of the cast was... That actually was a few name actors. Like you had like Malcolm McDowell as a sort of a cameo role. He's from like like Clockwork Orange and a bunch of other like movies from the seventies and eighties. You wouldn't really know, but he's he's a good actor. And uh, yeah, I, I think like I said, I think it's a good debut effort from the guy. Like I said, it would really intrigue me, to, especially seeing what his next project's going to be with, with that trailer he just put out for the other one, Possessor. Uh, but yeah, it's um, I'd recommend it, but I would just say going in. Knowing to watch it, just knowing it's gonna be slow, it's gonna be a slow burn. It's not gonna be something that you're not gonna be like looking to get grossed out or like some crazy, you know, torture type horror film. It's not like that at all. It's unsettling more than anything, right? So now the next one I watched was definitely a different type of. This one was more of. This one's almost more of like a PG-13 horror because again, this one wasn't very gory or or you know over the top. But the production value is really good on this one too. And it, so this one came out in 2016 and it's called Before I Wake. So you have the main cast. You have, you have a pair of pair. Geez. You got a couple uh, uh, played by Thomas Jane and Kate Bosworth. I don't know if you know them, but like other people probably recognize the names. Thomas Jane was like the Punisher back in like oh okay. nine or something. One of the first pun, not the, the first Punisher was like Dolph Lundgren. That was back in the eighties. There was another Punisher film. Like maybe it was like oh six that came out. But um, yeah, he's been in a bunch of other stuff too. But uh, they're they're good actors. So anyways, you got them. And then you have so they their son dies. Uh, he drowns, unfortunately, in, like a bathtub accident, and uh, so they um, they 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 want to be foster parents. So they foster, they get an application. A kid comes through the system. Foster kid gone through a few homes, and but he, uh, on the surface, I think he's probably eight or nine years old. I can't remember the exact age they specify in the film, but uh, so, so they, the social worker brings him to the brings the kid to the house. He meets his new parents, and they, they, at the first glance, the kid seems super polite and respectful and well mannered, and they're like, okay, great. So they introduce the kid to the house you know give him his, his own room and stuff and then it's, it's it's determined pretty quickly that why this kid's gone through a few homes i guess what he has a gift which is that when he dreams his dreams come to life so for example like he he likes to read a book about butterflies he, that's one of the first one of the things he actually brought with him to this house he had like a book of stuff they brought from his other homes and he had a book of like butterflies so when he dreams the first night like the parents are downstairs watch tv and all of a sudden all these butterflies start flying through the house and then uh you know they're 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 like where are these coming from? And then they try and capture them in a jar and stuff. And the next thing you know, the, the butterflies all just disappear like out of thin air. And then the kid comes downstairs and you realize that because well, he woke up, so the dream just goes away, right? Mm-hmm. So the first first the first few dreams he has are pretty cool. Quickly they realize once he has nightmares, it's sort of mm-hmm. the other end of the spectrum, right? Then like evil demonic things come to life. And I'm not gonna get too far into spoilers other than that. That's like the first half of the first half hour of the film. But uh, it's a really cool film. Um, I really like this one a lot. Uh, it's got a good director behind it too. Uh, Mike Flanagan. He's done a lot of stuff in the last like five or six years. Um, did that one Netflix series I heard was really good. I haven't watched it yet. called the, the haunting of Hill house. He did. Um, most recently he did that one film called Dr. Sleep. That was the sort of like sequel to the shining. Okay. With Ewan McGregor in it. And, uh, yeah, he's really he's done a lot of good horror films. Um, he's got some. Yeah, he's he's a good talent. He's he's. Uh, I'm definitely intrigued to check out more. This is one of one of his earlier horror films. Like, what's well, only four years ago, but still, <laughs> he's done a he's he's a busy he's a busy guy. He's on a lot of projects since then. Um, but yeah, I'm intrigued to check out more of his stuff. I think uh, I think it was a good film, and uh, yeah, it kept me kept my. Like I said I was watching it like probably one o'clock one morning, and it kept my interest all the way through to the probably Until almost three a.m. Probably almost two hours. Yeah. <laughs> Next, the uh, third one I watched recently was, um, excuse me, this one came out in 2009. It was called uh, 
Blood Creek. Kind of a generic title, but again, what intrigued me about this one, just looking at the synopsis and the uh, the cast behind it. So you have directed by Joel Schumacher, which I thought was kind of interesting. He's never really done horror type stuff before. Um, he's he unfortunately is an actor, he, he director. He passed away a few years ago uh, from cancer, I think. But uh, he's well, you would know him from. Uh, he's been, he's been directing since the eighties, but um, back in the nineties, he did those two Batman films. Uh, with, uh, with one of the ones with George Clooney and Val Kilmer, the, yeah. the Jim Carrey, Tommy Lee Jones, Arnold Schwarzenegger ones. Yeah. Yes, those Batman, and Rob- those those Batman ones, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin. Uh, he also did Phone Booth. You know Phone Booth, eh? I do know um, Phone Booth. Yeah. Is that the one he did that you might know? He did. Uh, shoot, one more. I'm thinking of. No, oh, I lost it. <laughs> but he did like back in the nineties. He did like a Time to Kill. You ever heard of that one? Time no. to Kill. That was based on a that was a novel of. Who did that one? Is that John Grisham? Anyway, like when he, he he launched a lot of actors' careers in the '90s. Like Jim, when he died, Jim Carrey and uh, and Matthew McConaughey both credited him with giving them their start. Sort, their start in Hollywood. So he was he was a good director. But anyway, so it, like this one, this was one of his last. I think his last direct. This was '09. He directed another film in 2011, and after that, he didn't direct anymore. I don't think. But um, so this one stars uh, Henry Cavill. Okay, so Witcher. The Witcher or, or Superman, whatever you want to think of him as. Uh, Have you seen Geralt now, by the way? I saw the yes. new Whoa. armor. Well, oh he got swole. He's already swole. You're talking about yes. the armor. Yes. They just gave him ab armor. Yes. That's just like giving Batman <laughs> ab armor. So, I know. <laughs> but yes, I do agree the new photos for The Witcher season two look good. Anyways, going back to Blood Creek. Uh, so you have um, yeah, you have uh, Henry Cavill playing the lead role. He's, he plays a, he plays uh, him and his brother are the two lead actors. Um, the Real other, brother? Hmm? Real brother? No. No, like in that film, his oh, brother. No, well, his other brother, Dominic Purcell. He's uh, he's from Prison Break. I don't know if you ever saw that show or not. No. Okay, but uh, and then the the villain in this one, who you only really see him at the beginning of the film, when they do sort of like a flashback to like nineteen the nineteen thirties. Like he plays a German a Nazi essentially. You find out he's a Nazi pretty quickly, who comes over from Germany to to America, and uh, he he sort of like. I don't know. He, he was he was like sent to a, like some American farm. I want to say it's like but West Virginia or something. He was sent to a farm to find some like relics, some runestone thing that the Nazis were after, you know, for power for the Third okay. Reich or whatever. That's all the whole setup for this thing, right? So it's, it's the Nazi in this case is the German guy. He's played by Michael Fassbender. Okay, yeah. So you know Magneto from the recent X Men mm-hmm. films. Uh, so, but then in the second half of the film, his character sort of all disfigured and like demonic looking. You really, it's not really it's the actor under the makeup, but you don't really see his face anymore. So he doesn't really get much of a FaceTime role other than the beginning of the film, but anyway, it's it's a pretty short film. I think it's probably an hour and a half, forty or an hour, sorry, an hour forty minutes or so. Um, it was okay. It was this was definitely the most violent of the three films I watched, and I kind of knew that going in, judging by the trailer and the promo shots I saw. Uh, it's good. It's definitely a B film. Like you definitely tell it's low budget, but uh, I mean, it, it held my interest enough. I think the chemistry between the two brothers was good. Um, it's always weird seeing like because Henry Cavill, if, you, if you've seen the interviews or anything, like he's British, right? He's got a very good Is British. He really? Oh yeah, but he pulls a really good American accent in this one. Seeing as if, if he plays, you know, Clark Kent or Superman or mm-hmm. anything else, right? He's pretty good at hiding his accent, so he was good in this one. Um, some good violence, some good deaths from some of the the characters, the, the villains, and the uh, other. I don't know it, the whole thing with like the. The Nazi character is like he kind of gets like chained up in this barn and like he's just like feeding off this. He's trying to turn into like this demonic creature, right? That's the whole point of living there for this relic that they found. And uh, so, of course, the brothers sort of like inadvertently free him from this prison that he's in. And the whole film, the rest of the film is them trying to figure out how to kill him. 
because you know he's apparently like immortal, but there is a way to kill him, of course, of some course. secret rituals. So they gotta figure that out. And, you know, it was, like I said, it's a good B film. It's kind of thing I would have watched back in high school. I would, if mm-hmm. I was like going to the movie store, I'd be like, yeah, that looks cool. Let's watch that and have some popcorn and drinks and have a good time. So yeah, this one I would definitely say. Um, so I, like I said, definitely I would uh, definitely I recommend an antiviral uh, based on if you're if you're into that sort of thing. I think it's a slow burn type film. Before I wake, I really liked. I think you can definitely watch that with, you know, your. You're older if you had older kids or like with your spouse or something it's not too scary or too just too gory or anything um this one um i'd say probably like watch with your buddies or by yourself or something not the kind of thing you want to watch with your family probably and but, what movie put you to sleep oh yeah that one called cold skin cold skin right yeah i might go back and finish it. i only got about an hour left on it but it, like I said, it just didn't really draw me in so far the next one i do plan to watch that i've heard is really good uh it's also on amazon uh came out in 2002 it's called dog soldiers uh, directed by Neil Marshall. This is his first direct, uh, direct, his directorial Toriel. debut. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm intrigued because I like his other, a couple of other films. Uh, the Descent was a really good one. That's what the people that go like kind of cave dwelling and they find these creatures. And uh, the other one called uh, Centurion. That's the one also, also Michael Fassbender in it. That's the one about like Roman soldiers who kind of, um, yeah, they're being hunted in the forest and stuff. It's anyway, he's a good director. From the other stuff I've seen from him, so this is his debut, which I heard is another like low budget type film. Um, but I think that's something to do with werewolves. So I'm kind of curious. That was a good, like, good were- werewolf movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll watch that uh, next day or two, and I'll report back on it. Other than that, I do have some topics to discuss this week. Um, then it shouldn't take us too long, so we can probably get through. A, I have like four of the four different topics on my list. So we'll probably get through two of them today. Uh, first one I'll start out with just get you a little involved in the discussion because you definitely will have some um, opinions on these. Oh, great. So, I made a short list. When I say short, I mean I have five. But you can, if you can think of more, feel free to chime in. I made a list of uh, emotional scenes in Pixar films. <laughs> well, we all know the number one. Okay, go ahead. What's number one? Uh, the beginning of Up. Of course, yeah. It's... Uh, that was um, the... First, we saw it in theaters, right? We did. Yeah. We had, well, we had to try three times seeing it in theaters. Yeah. My goodness. Um, but yeah, that uh, that first time you watch up, you're not expecting that at all. No. It's such a... I was impressed. It was such a mature opening for an animated film mm-hmm. to have, basically, to, to show this, like, through a montage to show... I mean, before I get into these moments, I'll say spoilers up front, by the way, so you can well, skip ahead. Of the movie, though, too, I know, I know. But still, if anyone hasn't seen it, I, I really want to spoil it for the first time. So if you haven't seen it up, skip ahead a couple minutes in this podcast here, but... In the beginning of Up, you have your um, your main character, Carl. It shows him as a child meeting this young girl, Ellie, in like a house or, you know, she's playing make-believe in this house, something. They, they meet oh, each yeah. other. They, they, they have a little, little cute meet thing together as kids. And then, so through this quick, like, little two or three-minute montage, it shows them, it progresses from them, you know, as kids to, like, getting married to sort of starting life together, like getting trying their first house, trying to have kids. That ends up in a little bit of tragedy. I think that it's, it's implied. Again, this is all heavy stuff that kids wouldn't really understand, yeah. but... There's no dialogue at all in these scenes, but it's heavily implied she probably had a miscarriage or yeah. something. And then he wants to, like, he buys these tickets, I think, to take her away to her vacation, mm-hmm. where she always had a dream to go on vacation somewhere. And then sort of they, they, they're they they going up this their usual hill where they go up this hill and have picnics and stare at the clouds or whatever. And they so they're going up this hill. They're, they're probably, I don't know, in their 60s or 70s by this point. But so they're climbing up this hill, and then all of a sudden she sort of collapses. And then, again, you don't know exactly what she has. It's probably implied it's cancer or some kind of terminal illness. But so... In this quick through the minute montage, you see the start of their marriage to the end where she actually dies, and Carl's just left alone as an old man. And it's a, old crotchety man. Oh, and it's like it's 
Well, but again, you don't know he's crotchety yet. That's later on in the film. But like, no. and at this point in the film, he just thinks you he's, know when he, when what? the kid comes to his door to that's, ask for. I'm, that's after she dies. I'm yes, just I'm, saying in the whole montage part, yeah, you don't know, know he's crotchety yet. You just you're, no. He, I said afterwards. I know. I get that. Yes, but uh, just saying the yeah, it's a devastating montage with no dialogue and. I mean, there's a little bit of music manipulation in there, but not much. It's very subtle. But uh, yeah, that's a that's definitely even like rewatching that film every time mm-hmm. he, it still hits you, right? So well done. Um, yeah, and and up's a great film in general. Like I said, that's I mean, for a film that doesn't open with a lot of comedy, it does. It's pretty funny throughout the rest yes, of the film. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, so okay, I agree. I didn't actually rank these on my list, but you are right. That would probably be number one. Um, you want to throw another one out there? Um, I would say in Wally, uh, when Eve stops working. You mean like when she gets the plant, she's sort of like, yes. okay, and Wally's trying to like wake her up? Yeah. Interesting. I didn't have that on my list. I can see where you're coming from, though. If I was going to pick one from Wally, I would have actually said, and this one's not really a sad like, crying because it it's a sad moment. It's more crying just that how beautiful. Are yeah. you the one with the outside when they're flying around dancing yeah. in space? Okay. Yeah, fly, uh, it's an awesome scene. With Wally's like happy and they're having yeah. like this no, little, you're not yeah. Wrong. and the music's it's so emotion- good. In that it's scene. definitely yeah. an emotional moment. I was going with all sad moments because I was sad for Wally making a new best friend and it's gone. For sure. I mean, Wally, just like Up, is, is so impressive in how how much they can convey with no dialogue. For or, sure. You know, Wally just making noises or just a little like, you know, if he's trying to like woo, He's so expressive Eva. with his eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, he can convey any emotion because he's not a human. So it's, he's just a robot. So he doesn't have much to move, but he put, gets so much across. Yeah. Um, the next one I was gonna say, I'll tell you what. I'll just say the name of the movie, and you tell me which oh, scene. I'm sure you can tell which scene I'm gonna mention. I only know one more, but okay, I'll try. Go ahead and say it then. Oh, uh, Toy Story three, the furnace scene. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, I bawled my eyes out in the theater. <laughs> I thought to myself in the theater, like, there's no way, there's no way they're gonna do this, right? Oh like, man, be... I was totally bawling. <laughs> it was good. They really sold the uh, the intensity of that moment. Like, you really believed, like, oh man, are they actually gonna like? destroy these toys yeah but i can't remember who rescues them at the last minute or how they get out of that situation i'm trying remember. to remember i just but, remember that scene torturing yeah. me <laughs> a lot of people said that when i was reading like this online about like pixar moments a lot of people were saying like the ending of three like when andy gives away the toys yeah, to bonnie I get that. that didn't hit me as much no it was a good didn't. moment but i didn't feel like that that, that to me felt like sequel bait yeah <laughs> well no if anything i thought that was i didn't think there was gonna be a toy story four honestly when three was done i thought that's it well they said like, that but then yeah well money look what happened money, so yeah. <laughs> um the other one I would have here, Inside Out. What part? Oh my gosh, of course. How could you forget Bing Bong? Oh, Bing Bong. No, it's another part of Bob Eyes in the theaters. That was another really, really oh good moment. Oh my gosh. That was, the music was really good in that scene. Oh man. Because you knew what was, it was building, it built up so well in that moment. There's so many times I, where they try to like go up that ramp and try and like, like uh, what's what's Joy, right? Joy and Bing yes. Bong, they're trying to get back up and uh, and, and then at the end when you realize he's going to jump off. Uh, I didn't see it coming. <laughs> when it happens, like, <gasps> no. Totally, totally terrible. That was a good one. Oh man! I think that one too is more. It's funny how many of these Pixar moments we mentioned so far are really more for the parents and the kids. Like kids might find the Bing Bong thing sad. I think I feel like it would hit more with the parents or the older crowd. Probably because it got me. Yeah, Lucas probably didn't care less. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, bye, Bing Bong." (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, What if I heaven? What if I said uh, Monsters Inc.? Um, I don't, I don't remember much of Monsters Inc. I don't, I don't love Monsters Inc. As a franchise, wants so. to be right towards the end of the film, so spoilers about the like ending, when the, she can't see monsters anymore, kind of thing. Like when well, they can't visit her. When when Sully says goodbye to Boo, basically, yeah. that's a it's a sad moment. Oh yeah, yeah. I just know like those movies. I don't remember much. Okay. Of them. 
Bruce and Lord for me, I thought, and I was actually, see, I, I wasn't the hugest Finding Nemo fan. It's a good film, but. Are Finding Nemo or Dory? I'm saying Finding Nemo. Okay. You said more recent. I, I know, but I'm but getting, I'm getting that out. I'm is, getting to okay. that. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about, I'm going to talk about Finding Dory, but I'm leading up by saying. I understand. I didn't like Finding Nemo that much. It was, it was good. good. Yeah. But I actually like Finding Dory a lot better. Me too. Um, and so for, for me with Finding Dory, there's a couple moments in the film, uh, I thought were really beautiful, but the one for me for sure is like when Dory finds her parents at the end. Oh, one, yeah, yeah. It was, it was just they they sold the moment really well because throughout the whole film, it's you know with Dory's memory issues and all these flashbacks of her as a kid losing her parents, and then yeah, I thought that was well done. Yeah, I agree. I really like that movie. I can't remember like older ones like they did Bugs Life, right? I can't remember. Much yeah, from I don't Bugs remember. Life. Bugs Life was more scary than anything. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Uh, I don't feel Incredibles made me feel much either. Yeah, that was more about like, yeah, because it was like action. It was more of the more action packed films. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Incredibles maybe not so much. Um, like I can't really. I haven't seen Brave. I can't really comment on Brave. We haven't seen the new one Onward yet. No. Um. I think I got a little emotional in that. What's that one called? The Good Dinosaur. Oh. Near the end of that one, when the the main character kind of like parts of the dinosaur. That was yes. a little sad, but. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, for sure. Like those are, the, I think those are the big yes, Pixar ones that I mentioned. Like, yeah, you cry every time you watch <laughs> them, <laughs> or for you, be happy for Wally. Exactly. All right. Well, um, next topic I have that you can probably comment on on a few of these. Actually, most of these I think you've seen, but I'm trying to think of a topic where. And I had to think really hard. I didn't want to like cheat and look online for these. I know okay. I could easily find a list online. So I tried to think off the top of my head. I was at work, at work today. I was trying to think, okay, what are some scenes in films? Obviously films that I own or that I've watched many times before. So that's why I'm trying to rely on my memory here. What are some scenes in films where an actor, like an actor was only in one scene, but they really stole the scene. Like it's like when you go back to a film and you think, I remember that one scene very specifically, even though it's not like, so I'm talking about like a, like most, a cameo like, almost. Yeah, but not like cameos are more about like self-indulgence. It'll be like, here's a random celebrity that we just yeah. threw in here for a gag. Like none of these moments are really funny. These are more dramatic moments I chose. Like but Tom Brady and Ted too. Exactly. Yes, that would be an example of one that I didn't choose, but yes. <laughs> but, but no, yeah, I'm trying to think of, and, and in this case, I think, actually, no, it's just the one. There's only one of these, I think, where the actor was actually uncredited for the role. But uh, I mean, most of these... It's it's there. These are all like actors, not all, maybe most of these actors you would recognize, like bigger name actors. But these are small roles in films where, um, yeah, they're only on screen for two or three minutes, and and uh, it's just a you know, memorable scene. From, anyways, uh, belabor the point. Uh, the first one I'm gonna go with is from uh, Mission Impossible Two. You remember this one? So it's one where, well, I shouldn't say. I was gonna say the one where Tom Cruise has long hair. We've had long hair in a couple of them, but this <laughs> it very it was a very different look from Mission Impossible One. This was the the one directed by John Woo, where it's it's all like, yeah, it's uh, what's the, you know, this one where he has like his rival agent who tries to like they have like a love triangle thing going on with the one girl and no not okay. I know <laughs> anyway I don't remember this movie well you don't remember Mr. Muscle too no. okay well there's a scene early on in the film I'd say maybe twenty minutes or so in where like Tom Cruise is kind of having like a a briefing on his on his mission. Uh, so he, he's, he's, in, he's in Spain or something. I can't remember exactly where they are, but he kind of meets up with his handler, his, his boss. You hear, you hear the voice at the beginning of the film when like Tom Cruise is like climbing the Brock mountain and he puts the glasses on and then uh, the opening credits roll and stuff. But the, um, so in this case, the actor who kind of gives him this like little four to five minute briefing is played by Anthony Hopkins. Okay. And he's only in the scene for that one role. And, uh, and I, I, I don't even think he was credited. Like, um, he, he sort of like did it 
because he thought it'd be a cool. But he, he definitely steals the scene in this. He just has this little like back and forth with Tom Cruise. They have such good dialogue, and he just kind of like sells the whole gravity of the mission and some he has some humor about how they're gonna like use the villain's girlfriend to get back at him and stuff. And there's a lot of little innuendo in there. But I thought it was a really good scene. Like I said, whenever I go back and watch that film, I always that scene stands out to me. Is just yeah, Anthony Hopkins is just cool. <laughs> One of these days, I'm gonna do a. a review on him like his career mm. which would be crazy um it's actually one of the films i have on my like halloween list to watch this month it's on netflix it's the silence of the lambs okay i don't think i've ever actually seen that film start to finish i've seen oh man you gotta talk to my sister yeah i've seen hannibal a bunch of times like the sequel and other stuff but um yeah i gotta watch that for sure next one uh recent film was um blade runner 2049 Okay. So this, again, this is early on in the film, first 10 minutes or so, Ryan Gosling, the first character he goes to meet, the first sort of replicant that he goes to arrest, or in this case, terminate, <laughs> is uh, played by Dave Bautista, the, okay, yeah. you know, the wrestler yeah. turned actor. So, But he's really good in this role, too, because he plays like an old replicant that, like I said, that um, uh, Gosling's character kind of hunts down, and uh, this guy's sort of like living off the grid now, living on a, uh, it's, what kind of farm do they call it again? He's on a protein farm or something, he's growing like bugs. Okay. And uh, so anyways, uh, yeah, they, but he has a really good, it's just a really tense scene with him between him and Gosling where it's like, you know, he, the Dave Bautista character, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but uh, the actor, the character's name, but uh, he knows he's found out and he knows he's going to get apprehended or, or arrested or whatever by Gosling's character. So they, they have this intense fight for a couple of minutes and Gosling ends up killing it, like shooting him because he had a self-defense, but um yeah, it's a really good scene. Just like, as Bautista gets to kind of like show off his dramatic chops a bit. He has sort of like, there's, there's all this, the scene is, I mean. The whole scene is shot by Denis Villeneuve and and, and uh, cinematography done by Roger Deakins. Like it's such a good looking scene. They're just inside this little dimly lit house, having this little like kind of like a noir dialogue scene going on, where there's a lot of tension. And at one point, Batista's character like kind of pulls a knife out, and he's you know he's you know he's going to attack Gosling. You just don't know when. Mm. So it's, it's just a really good scene. And like I said, unfortunately, he's only his character is only intended to be in there for a few minutes. Batista's character, but I thought he left a really good impression. It's a good opening to the film. Um, next one. Now, I could have chosen two examples in this one, but I, I didn't go... Since I already kind of talked about the one last week, I'm not going to harp on that again. But in this case, I'm talking about a scene from Collateral that I didn't mention last week. Uh, oh. Last, like, I could have used an example of this one. I could have used where I said Max goes yeah. to meet the... At the club. The, the drug leader guy at the yeah. club, the Javier Bardem. I could have used that scene for sure. But in this case, I chose a different one that also sticks with me in that scene. It's the one where Max and Vincent sit down with the jazz club owner. Do you remember that oh, part? Yes, I do. Yeah. That's only, again, like a three to four minute scene. But I thought the jazz club owner... I don't think his character's name's ever revealed. It doesn't really matter, but his he has such a good scene, and that's mm-hmm. so that's another tension scene where it's because it kind of Vincent kind of gives him this game of like if he answers a question right, I won't kill you, yeah. And even though the guy answers a question right, Vincent kills him anyway, yeah. and, and that sort of like turns Max off of the whole thing because. But you just kind of see Vincent has a little bit of remorse in that scene because he didn't really want to kill the guy. He kind of respected him, but uh, yeah. But anyway, I thought that actor sold that, and the, the actor's name. He's in a lot of stuff too. Um, uh, he's actually got a cool name the actor's name in that scene it's called Barry Shabaka Henley cool <laughs> yeah but he's a good actor and he, I really thought he sold that scene well just the uh, as he starts out all lighthearted, joking around with him then we, re- we realize who Vincent is and why he's there his whole tone drops and then it's just like this really dramatic scene um, next one on the list I have is another really good there's so many so many good scenes in I love Tarantino films and one day I'm going to talk about all of them but on here but uh, for sure in Inglorious Bastards which was just over a decade ago that came out um, there's, there's this scene about I was halfway two thirds through the film where most of the main cast are in this tavern in Germany. They're in this like underground sort of tavern bar, and they're uh, they're, they're sort of plotting their their next move against the uh, 
against the Germans, like the big climax of the film. And, and uh, there's this big dramatic scene because one of the uh, characters is undercover. He's like a British officer, but he's undercover as a German officer because he speaks really good German, but he can't really hide his accent entirely. So there's a really, this really tense scene in the bar where like someone, one of the other soldiers picks up on this guy's accent and he's like, where are you from? They start like kind of grilling him. And then they're kind of like half joking around, half like trying to actually find out if this guy's, you know, like a Legit. spy or something. Yeah. But there's this really, yeah, really good. Like it's, this is like a, like a nine, 10 minute scene, but it's like such good, like t- typical Tarantino dialogue and, and the way the whole scene escalates into a, a, a crazy scene of violence, this huge shootout in the bar. But the one German soldier, um, the actor's name, I think it's, I wrote down, it's August Deal, and he is a, a German actor. So one thing about this film I appreciated was that Tarantino really went for authenticity. Most of the actors he hired in this film, like Christoph Waltz, for example, like they speak mm-hmm. fluent German. So it's not like it's you know an American trying to pull off a German accent. Like they're just speaking actual yeah. fluent German, right? Same with this character. I even appreciate like the one actor in this film, the one who kind of gets found out uh, as the British spy. It's played by Michael Fassbender, okay. who's also German. So he has German hair. So he speaks German well, but in this film he's supposed to be he's not speaking it well. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's it's a good little bit of Slide. yeah, exactly, right? But that's such a good scene, and I always that that's always the one scene that I love watching that film. Um, next one, this one goes without saying. Anybody who's ever seen this this film came out what was it almost thirty years ago, I think. So everybody's probably seen or heard about this one before. But the movie called Glengarry Glen Ross. And there's a amazing five minute like monologue scene with Alec Baldwin. This is when Alec Baldwin was pretty not unknown, but he was starting out in his career or in the early nineties. What is this called? Glengarry Glen Ross. It's based on a play. It's a play by David Mamet. Oh, he also yeah. directed the film, but it's got a really it's a great it's a the whole film is about like a group of salesmen who um the the cast is insane. You got like uh like I said, this is one of Baldwin's first roles, earlier roles, but um you got like Alec Baldwin, you got Al Pacino you got uh, Alan Arkin, you got Ed Harris, Kevin Spacey, Jack Lemmon. So many good actors in this film. Uh, but um, Baldwin just goes on this crazy... So he's like he's sort of like this guy who works for the company that the salesmen all work for. And he goes down, he, he gives them all this really like mean, berating speech where he just tells them all their garbage. And he tells them all how to sell. And it's oh, just, you know, I've seen, seen this You've scene. seen this before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the most famous like famous it. acronym like ABC always yes. be closing. Yeah, I remember this yeah. very well. I, they, I think I've only seen that. Yeah, they, they showed this friggin' scene when I was the, I think movie class. Well, well yeah, well, any movie film site class probably seen it. But I was just saying when I, was, when I used to work at Future Shop. Oh really? Like friggin' one one time we had a meeting and our manager showed this scene as like a sales. Oh, and I'm like, oh scene. come on! I'm like, <laughs> but everybody everybody recognizes the scene right away. It's just it's so iconic, right? No Country for Old Men. Do you remember the scene with? with Javier Bardem's character Anton when he's in the gas station I was with the, the gas station yeah, the gas station clerk in this scene yeah like stole that scene because again that whole scene is like word for word right out of the book right right but I remember reading that scene in the book and thinking it was pretty cool but seeing it on film was so tense and the gas station the old actor his name is Gene Jones he uh he sold that scene really well just being like this little unassuming simple gas station owner who realizes pretty quickly that he's dealing with like a dangerous guy mm-hmm. and just the whole like how he starts getting more and more nervous as the conversation yep. goes on it's such a good scene um uh last one since we watched it recently uh remember the zodiac, zodiac film we watched yeah do you remember that scene when gyllenhaal's character robert graysmith when he goes to the house to meet the guy and they go down to his basement yes and, oh my gosh yeah, it's so creepy the guy who played the guy that guy who owned the guy who owned the house that yeah. guy i thought that guy was great in the scene he's still yes. on scene because he starts out so kind and like they're talking about you know the movie theater the yeah and then when as soon as John Hall's character says like oh but the handwriting is a match to the Zodiac and this guy's like I wrote all the posters myself yeah, like, and, oh, and Robert's oh. like 
okay, let me get out of here. And then the guy's like, oh, why don't you come down to the basement? It's just so tense. Like, that's just the great. Oh, yeah, because nobody has basements. In yeah, California. right. Yeah. Such a good, well-directed scene by David Fincher, too. But oh, that's, that's my short list of all the scenes that stood out to me. It's just like simple two, well, the Glory Bastard was the longest, longest scene on the list, but most of them were just short scenes, but that leave an impression on you like, from yeah, the actors, right? Sure. So I thought that was cool. I don't want to rant and rave too long, you but could. Uh, I could. <laughs> We still got to get around to watching another Ghibli film probably this I weekend. Know, we keep family. Yeah, we're busy. We've been busy lately with you know we had a family wedding. We had uh, we've had birthdays and holidays. And, yeah, you know it's just been busy. We have been busy. We're gonna, but I think after, like we're not really doing anything special for Thanksgiving this weekend. We have time. It's a well time this weekend too to watch some stuff. I'll watch some more Halloween stuff. We'll watch another Ghibli. Maybe go back and watch some more Gilmore Girls. I don't. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna watch it by myself now. I've decided. Why? You're too slow. I've it's been a month. I've been keeping track. It's been a it's month since you watched it. Okay, my bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't want to see more of it. I just well, you don't ever ask. You play your games and you forget about me. Well, you've been like you were sick recently. You're going to bed earlier so and I stuff. What am I gonna do? I'm gonna watch TV in bed instead of watching. All right, all right. Anyway. Oh <laughs> jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh yeah, I'll, uh, like I, said, I got some more topics we can put aside for next week. Got a good start for next week. Um, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up here. Um, so hope everybody stays safe out there. If you do plan to have, well, I guess it'd be, this would be more for our Canadian listeners, not our American listeners, but if you're planning to have Thanksgiving this weekend, any Canadians, you know, stay safe out there. Try and obviously keep it to a small gathering if you can. Maybe just your own family households. So we can try and get this COVID stuff under control here in Ontario. I miss pumpkin pie. Yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah everybody stay safe out there and we'll be back next week have a good one Peace.